0: Chapter 12, verse 1. The moment you read verse 1, there's almost like a chill that runs down the back of your back when you read the one word. So let me do that. Let's look at verse 1. It says, It was about this time that king who? Herod. Now, Just the word Herod to put it in the context here is that as we read verse 12 and when you hear about Herod you'll see that it just takes us back before the account of the church at Antioch that Christo preached on last week. It takes us back to Jerusalem, it takes us back to the Jewish context of what was happening over that period of time. And so we're reading about what's happening in Jerusalem today. So we see here in the book of Acts that it wasn't always written chronologically, as was the book of Revelation. But as we read, verse 1, it says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this, met the approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter as well. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he was put in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for God, to God, for him. Verse six. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel said to him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second gods and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, Suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. We read up to this point and hopefully you could read the rest of the chapter at home. Verse 11 is our text and it says, Then Peter came to him himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. From everything the Jewish people would, were hoping would happen. So I'd like to just, in your Bibles if you have it, or even on your phones to underline Verse 11, because for me, verse 11 is the key verse within this chapter. Now, very, very clearly, we see that persecution was the order of the day within the life of the church here. Their lifestyle of comfort had been replaced by them being displaced. From their homes, from their towns, and they were scattered into different parts of the country and even beyond that. And we had heard that from there, these people started to gossip the gospel to others. And they were speaking to people about Jesus, and ordinary men and women like you came to know Jesus through ordinary men and women like you and I. The gospel is powerful in whoever hands it is placed. And we see that it was placed within the hands of these people. And here we see, again, that for a period of time, we knew that after Saul became Paul, and we looked at that about three weeks ago, the the persecution stopped for a short little while, Um, The Bible says that the people were confident and it was a period of peace. But it didn't last for too long. And my friends, it is similar in our lives. There are times when we have peace, when the challenges are not that great, and we should enjoy those times. Because that's not normal Christian living. Normal Christian living is... A set of challenges that we face. Scripture is very clear, and Peter said that we need to endure many trials to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus personally said to Saul on the road of Damascus, when Saul met Jesus, he said, "I'm showing you what you must suffer for my sake." So we know that suffering is part and parcel of the christian walk but the wonderful use is that jesus within our lives helps us to overcome those difficulties helps us to push through them and sometimes we need to endure hardship for his sake and we see here that this is exactly what is happening here again in chapter 12. the word herod is mentioned here, and we see that Herod was responsible for one of the apostles, James, the brother of John, to be killed with the sword. Now, some history, if you remember, James and John's mother stood before Jesus at one stage and said to Jesus, Jesus, these are my two outstanding young men. I'm asking that you would give them a place of privilege with him, my kingdom. And Jesus said, are they able to take the suffering that I'm going through? So what he was actually saying to James and John's mother was this. Would you mind your own business? <laughs> and this is the man, one of the sons that we find who became an apostle together with his brother, and it is the first martyrdom of an apostle. When Stephen was martyred, he wasn't an apostle. But James was the first apostle that was martyred. And we see here that his brother John was not martyred. We see that John was sent to the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation. He became an old man there. He was in prison, but he wasn't martyred. History tells us that he died, but not being martyred as the other apostles did. And so, of course, we face this dilemma again. Why is it that James was martyred at this age and not John? Why is it that we read this account where James was put into prison, Herod took him, and he killed him. And just a little bit later on in the chapter, we see that Peter was also arrested, put in the same prison, and we see here that he was released from prison. Well, miraculously escaped from prison, and he didn't die a martyr's death. Why? These are the theological debates that we have. Why is one healed and another is not? Why does one person live out um, the years of his life like John and yet his brother wasn't? He died a young death as a martyr. Why? And I'm so glad that you struggle with these questions because I struggle with them as well. In Armenia, I met a young woman And as we were talking and she could speak some English and I was sitting in the room and she came and sat there with me and she talked and very, very quickly, I don't know why that happens with me, she just opened up her heart and she started to tell me her life story. And as we sat there, she started weeping and she said, my sister had just died of cancer. And she said, as a result of this experience, I just feel so far from God. And she said, where is God? And my reply was, and my heart was really broken for her, I just said to her, you know what? God is right with you. It's your emotions that are everywhere, and that's the way you feel, and that's okay. But I just want you to know that God has not left you. So why is it that her sister died of cancer? And as we heard Marilee's testimony that Marilee, received um, the word from her doctor that they had dealt successfully with the cancer. Still a ways for Marley to go. But we thank Jesus for the great report. Why is one person healed and another person is not? Why is some person martyred and another person is not? Why are you able to go down that road and when, I, uh, when someone else would look at you and they said, why is that person so privileged and I am not? Why do you have everything and I have so little? These are the things that we constantly grapple with within normal Christian living. And we see here within this chapter that once again, the Holy Spirit reveals to us warts and all of what happens within scripture. My friends, the moment i talk to people in our church and in other churches where they take such a strong stance that every single person needs to be healed because that's the will of God, I just look and I say, well, you don't know the whole story. And then when I look at someone else and they say, well, you know, uh, uh, we just look at the doctors and we just go to the doctors You don't want to pray for me. I just look at them and I say, do you not believe in miracles? Why is it one person thinks this way, one person thinks that way? I think wisdom in the word of God gives us both accounts that these things is a mystery. And God is a God of the mystery. And so my friends, when we look at Herod, When his name is mentioned, we understand that this family was some kind of a family. It's not like you would want this family to be invited to your next birthday. This Herod was the grandfather of the Herod who slayed hundreds of innocent babies to kill Baby Jesus. That's what they wanted to do. And then another member of his family was the Herod, whom Jesus called a fox, whom Jesus stood and said that Herod was the one who wanted to, even at that stage, kill him. And so here in this account, we have the last Of the Herods. And this man has been a close friend of the mad emperor Caligula in Rome. And so we see here that he comes and he starts to kill people. This is the history of this family. I want to talk to you for a few moments about the history of your family. Just as we become very critical about Herod, and so we should, we find that from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, they repeated the sins of the fathers. One of my quests in life was to look at the history of my family and to make sure that God is central our futures. So the way that I would do things is probably different how my grandfathers would do things who were not Christian. And and all of us need to trust God that our futures would be very different from much of our past. And so we see here that in this passage of scripture, Herod is dealt with in a very particular way as we will look a little bit later on. But as we get to this point, in verse 11 it says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Lord, I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angels and rescued me from Herod's clutches. From everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So on the one hand, we've got James who are killed. Then we see that Peter is put in prison and he faces the same penalty for standing up with Jesus. But verse five says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And so as I was looking at this passage of Scripture, I looked at just verse 5, and I wondered, did Peter escape the clutches of Herod because the church was praying for him? Were the church, or was the church not praying for James when he was beheaded? That's a good question mark. That's a question you should be asking if you want to be true to the passage of Scripture here. But as Peter goes through this ordeal where he's taken, he's put in prison, he knows what happens to James, he knows that he is going to be put to death, he's chained, And he awaits for them to come and for his fate to be the same as his friend James. But what happens is, at night an angel comes and miraculously releases him from prison. He thinks it's a dream, but it's actually happening. And God takes him out of that context and frees him from the clutches. Of Herod, And as he walks out, and as he goes to the church that was praying for him, and he knocks on the door, the handmaid comes out, opens, and he says, I'm Peter. She closes the door, runs back, and she says, Peter is alive, the church has no ways. This church had a whole lot of faith in their praying, didn't they? They didn't expect that he was going to be released, but they prayed for it. So I'm not sure whether it was their their prayers that actually freed Peter. I'm not sure. I don't know. But as Peter walks out, he says in verse 11, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. My friends, when I study this passage of Scripture... Now I know without a doubt a few things. And I want us just to look at these few things that I know without a doubt. And the first thing that I know without a doubt is that God chooses when people should live or die. Is it possible for you to say yes on that? I, wanna, I want you to rate yourself. On a scale of 10, 10 being very strong, 1 being very weak. What score would you give yourself in believing that God chooses when people should live or die? What is your conviction on that? I could tell you that my conviction at times is not very strong on that. Because at nights when my son, sons would go out and I know that they're out, well, one lives in New Zealand, the one in Barcelona. And Jenny has this habit that she in the mornings look at my son's WhatsApp messages, and you could see when was the last time they used it. I just lie awake and I just pray, you know, and I have to had to learn that. In my praying, in my trusting, in the way that I've brought them up, that together with all of that, I need to believe that God chooses when people should live or die. Because Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he'll appear a second time. Not to bear the sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. My friends, I believe on a scale of 10, 10, that God chooses when people should live or die. When we follow him, when we are on His course, we can be totally and fully secure within Him. And so people have asked me, Piet, when are you gonna retire? And I said, I don't think I'll ever retire. Now we probably will one day retire from working within a church contact like this because um, we want to make way for others. Our legs do get a little bit tired. And so I understand that. But we will never retire. And I said to someone the other day, I trust that God would take me home before I retire. That would be my retirement. That would be my form of retirement. I trust for that with all of my heart because I believe that God has me within his full grip. And I have no doubt about that. There are times when I doubt it in my human frailty. But when I come to my biblical sense, I have absolutely no doubt that God keeps me. I wanna ask you, do you have a similar faith? Because when we look at this passage of scripture, we see here that James dies and John keeps on living. Who chooses? I believe God chooses. God is sovereign over our lives. If he is Lord, he is sovereign over our lives. And my friend, suddenly what happens is is that your priorities change. You have a real sense of peace within your heart. You stop working, you stop doing this, you, you stop arranging your life in such a way that God is no longer there. Some of you have arranged your life in such a way that God isn't even in view. My friends, Christians shouldn't do it that way. You've arranged God out of your plans, out of your future. You are working so hard because you do not trust God. You trust Yourself. And again I ask. On a scale of 1 to 10. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt. That God chooses. When people should live or die. Erica and I. We were laughing just the other day. She called me. I think my mom is dying. So I drove to. Agaree. Got into her house. Her mother was in the bed there, and she said, Piet, "The sisters around, who's been working with, says it's time." So I said, "Okay, good." So what we did was we sat down. I uh, had my Bible out, and we did everything. We did everything that we should do. So we read a, a passage of Scripture over her life. We let me just wait for a brief moment. There we go. Do I have your full attention? Thank you. So we were in the room where Erica's mom was. We read a passage of scripture. We prayed over her mom and we. Uh, said, Lord, would you now receive her spirit? Would you take her? Uh, She's ready for you. And Erica and I just prayed and we worshiped God and we thanked God for the time that she had. Went into the lounge and then suddenly we went back into the room and here Erica's mom sat and her eyes were wide open. Fully aware, this was like three, four months ago and she's still going strong. My friends, God chooses when we should live or die. I do believe that when we do stupid things, we can die prematurely. so let me just lay that out. But I believe that God chooses when we live or die as children of God. We're secure within His hands. He has power over the devil. Amen? You overcame death and life. Remember another instance where I was praying for an old lady in our previous church and she had been at that church for I think it was something like 80 years and so she was about to die. So the family called me in and I went and I sat down and I did the same thing, went through the whole thing, being a good pastor and I said, Lord, now, please Lord, And I quoted John chapter 14, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And as I said, in my father's house are very rooms. This old lady sat back up, literally sat back in bed. She opened her eyes. She says, Peter, my Bible doesn't say many rooms. My Bible says mansions. (laughs) She rebuked me very, very well. And she carried on for a while and then she died. My friends. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, I believe that God chooses when we should live or die. It'll change the way you live, change the way you believe, it'll change the way you pray, it'll change the way you worship. Now I know without a doubt, secondly, that the praying church, it's God's choice in battle. The praying church, it's God's choice in battle. My friends, even though I believe with all of my heart that God chooses when people should live or die, I believe that God works in partnership with his church. It is no good to say, well, I believe that God is sovereign. And then God is going to do all of those things. God has sovereignly chosen to use his church and to use you and I. And so, we see that the church was praying. It's one of the most wonderful stories that you could read about. It says in verse five, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. My friends, there are times because God is sovereign that he says, even though you pray, even though you believe, this is what I destined to do and God will remain Lord. Amen. Then there are times when God says, church, I work with you. And my friends, if you don't understand that, you will be most miserable. Because you'll be so confused. All throughout the book of Acts, you will see that there are times when God does amazing things, like we see here. And then there are times when we just should be praying. And God does miraculous things. Amen? Amen. This is the mystery, my friends. This church should be more of a praying church. This church prays in pockets and that's wonderful. But we should pray more together. I think it is a sin when we have the attitude, well, others will do it, we don't need to do it. I used the word sin. (laughs) Prayer is so vital within us, trusting God to do amazing things. My friends, I know that not all of you could make the prayer meeting on Tuesday nights, It seems. I know that some of you go to small groups. You can't go to a prayer meeting in a small group. I know that. Some of you work terrible hours. I know that. But it's still no substitute for us from time to time to come together to pray. And I'm so glad that I'm not going to ask you to give me an amen on that. I don't want us to wait until we're persecuted before we really start being the church that we need to be. I think within the Comfortable context that we are, sometimes we allow for lives of comfort that is directly opposed to gospel living. What I love about the women within our church, they get together in the mornings there and they pray in all different ways. And when I see that, I see that we are a praying church. I can't judge whether our church is just praying on the attendance on a Tuesday night but my goodness, I do think that you could be there at least once every two or three months. Can I expect that as a pastor? Of course I can, and I do. There are times when we just need to get together as a church and just say, hey, we need to do that. Can't wait for crises, but we need to do these things. Now I know without a doubt that the praying church, it's God's choice in battle. There are times I can't be at that prayer meeting. I couldn't be there on Tuesday night. After Christo's wonderful message to exhort all of us to be at the prayer meeting, how many did we have there? Five people at the prayer meeting. I'd like to eyeball everybody here. (laughs) That's just not good enough. It's not to put guilt on you. But if we look at the book in Acts, we've got to radically change some of our ways as a church. Not for my benefit. Like I said, I wasn't there on Tuesday night. Got over from Armenia and I wasn't there on the Tuesday night. But we radically need to change our values, we need to change our lifestyles. At least maybe once a month to try and make that prayer meeting, or else we must change how we do it. But what I've realized is it doesn't matter how we change, you actually have to change your values. And for us to change our values, it starts with understanding the Word of God, Am having a relationship with God. I understand if you don't invite me to your next birthday, party. <laughs> and then thirdly, I know without a shadow of a doubt, that God still performs miracles. Now, I hope that you said, "Amen. Those of you who believe in miracles, I hope you said amen. Also on my first point, that God is sovereign. Amen. <laughs> I want us as a church to get to this point. We need to grow in maturity. That's so funny within our church. It's amazing when we do one thing, you have the one group of people who say, that was an amazing service. And then when we do another thing, the other group says, well, that was an amazing service. And I keep on saying to people, this is the type of church we are. We're a church all across the board. People from Roman Catholics to Charismatics. And so for all of us who believe in miracles, I think we need to say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, that God still performs. Do all of us believe in that? If you don't believe in that, then you haven't been saved. (laughs) The greatest miracle of all is the new birth. My friends, I pray for healing for people every single week. You know that if you tell me you're sick, I said, come, let's pray. Nothing sways me on this point. I believe that God still performs miracles. Look at Acts chapter 12 verse 11. Scripture says, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. My friends, I know without a shadow of doubt that God still performs miracles. If you need a miracle today, we want to pray for you afterwards. If you believe in praying for people for miracles, when someone is sick, don't let them first go to the doctor before you pray for them. I know whether people really believe in miracles in the way that they respond to this, what I'm saying to you now. Do you believe Jesus heals? Ask for healing. Nine out of ten times God wants someone else to pray for you. There's a humility within your heart when you do it that way. But there's also a faith because we believe in God's word. Now I know that we're going to be very busy. Because if you're sick you're going to call us. But I'd like you to call me. If you're sick it doesn't matter what hour of the morning it is. I will come and pray for you. Because I believe God does miracles. Believe God does miracles. Church, when we go through the book of Acts, we can't read the book of Acts, we can't study through the book of Acts and not believe that this is still for today. As I'm convinced that God chooses when people should live or die, as I'm convinced that the church, the praying church, is God's choice of weapons. As I'm convinced that God still performs miracles, my friends, I'm convinced that what the book of Acts teaches us is for us as a church today. And the world whom we are passionate about needs a church like the book of Acts